Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talking Trash with Waste Dive, a look at some of the most hotly debated news and developments in the waste and recycling industry. I'm your waste diva, Kristen Muslin. And I'm your garbage enthusiast, Cole Rosengren. And thank you all for tuning in. Um, We know it's been a few weeks since our first episode of this new audio series, but we are back this week with a topic that has been inspiring some very strong opinions across the industry, commercial waste franchising. So, of course, the concept of franchise systems isn't new, and we've definitely been seeing it take forms in cities around the country for years, but it seems like the stakes are actually starting to get a little bit higher. Last December, Los Angeles formally approved a set of 10-year contracts with seven companies for a franchise zone system that will start this summer. And then also, we've been seeing New York is moving toward its own system as well. So Cole, you got your start in the trash beat in New York, and you've been following this closely for Waste Dive. So can you give us a bit of background on why New York's process is getting so much attention right now? Well, to start with, the scale of the sector is huge. We're talking about at least 3 million tons of commercial material alone getting picked up in the five boroughs every year. But what I think has drawn even more interest from the national industry is what this could mean to put tighter regulations on what has until now been a pretty open and competitive market. Just to give you an overview, everything in the New York waste world is complicated, but in the most basic sense, the Department of Sanitation handles residential collection, and commercial establishments are free to contract with whomever they'd like. Commercial waste licenses are regulated by the city's Business Integrity Commission, and the Department of Sanitation does have authority over recycling standards and transfer stations, but until recently, they had been playing a less active role in the commercial sector. Uh, A few years ago, labor and environmental advocates did start talking about reforms to the industry, and we saw this really start to ramp up when the city released its zero waste goals back in April 2015. At the time, they set a goal of 90% diversion for the commercial sector by 2030 and announced that a study would be conducted on the merits of a zone system. Along with higher recycling rates, their goals included reducing truck traffic and related emissions, as well as improving labor standards. Last summer, the results of that study came out, and the city said that it had found sufficient evidence to support a zone system, and they have since moved to hire a consultant to help make that happen. Okay, but just because the city supports it doesn't actually mean it'll happen anytime soon, right? So what's the latest? Yeah, this is going to be a long process. We're talking about five to seven years until full implementation. Legislation would be required. There's a lot of moving parts here. So in the meantime, leave some room for new tactics, new developments to come up, a lot of different ideas on how this could be implemented. So to get a better sense of what's going on, when I was down in New York last week for Swana Safety Symposium, I made a point of catching up with two of the key figures in this process. First up, I went to DSNY headquarters for a conversation with Commissioner Catherine Garcia. And then the following day, I spoke to Kendall Christensen. He's the executive director of a group called New Yorkers for Responsible Waste Management that represents local companies opposed to the plan. So the basic argument you'll be hearing here is that some companies in the private sector think they can achieve the city's goals while still maintaining an open market system. But the city says a full-scale overhaul is the only way to ensure lasting improvements and reach that key 2030 zero-waste target. So from what I've seen, it sounds like changes could potentially be made to address recycling rates, pricing, and labor standards in an open market system, but truck traffic would actually be a little bit harder, right? Exactly, Uh, which is why the potential for reducing vehicle miles traveled and the resulting emissions has been one of the city's main selling points for this zoning system. Yet, restricting the freedom of businesses that might need different pickup times has been raised as a major counterpoint. So I asked Commissioner Garcia about that, and here's what she had to say. Quick heads up, you may hear some background jackhammer noise in true New York City fashion. 
the argument we hear from the other side is, okay, but there needs to be multiple trucks because people need to be picked up at different times, right? Whereas DSMY, come down and hit the same block at the same time. Maybe you got a restaurant next to an office building. How do we make that work? One of the things in the study that we did is we did not make it perfect right. when we did the modeling. We did not assume that every business got picked up at the same time of day. So we created some uh, uncertainty in the way the routes were designed within the constrained geography. So instead of having, I mean, instead of having what we found was a 68% reduction in emissions, which we think is likely to occur, mm -hmm. if we had made a perfect system where we assumed that, you know, block A got picked up at noon and block B got picked up at one, uh, I would have had like a 97% reduction in emissions. But we know that it's not perfect. How would a system recognize that? Theoretically, you might have to have multiple routes on the same street, and that would be okay if there was right. more so controls, you, right? Right, so you may have one truck that starts here at five and is picking up the card shop, and then goes here for six to pick up the office building and comes back for seven to pick up the restaurant. Our modeling assumed that that could happen. So Garcia went on to say that this system could potentially include non-exclusive zones or other ways to recognize customers' needs. Now, as I mentioned earlier, many local companies still see restricting their ability to service customers at any given time as an issue. Christensen said it was too early to know whether non-exclusive zones would make a difference, and he questioned whether this approach would achieve the city's goals of reducing vehicle miles traveled and related emissions. They're actually mixing a couple of things there. Uh, one is uh, vehicle miles uh, traveled, and uh, well, anecdotally, it certainly is the case that there might be blocks or areas that have a number of different service companies providing waste and recycling services, as a practical matter, uh, that's competition. Mm -hmm. And as a practical matter, um, that happens because there are such a variety of businesses in New York that have uh, such a variety of needs uh, uh, for service that different companies uh, are uh, are best equipped to address those. So in any given block in New York, because of the, the incredible economic diversity in New York, there are reasons for why different companies provide those uh, services. On the air quality side, the city, along with the industry, is already um, scheduled to uh, and making uh, significant uh, progress in cleaning up uh, diesel trucks. Mm -hmm. uh, the requirement to have 2007 compliant trucks by 2020 is already being uh, implemented by a number of companies. So on the air quality, uh, particularly emissions uh, side of things, that's already being aggressively addressed. Now, Christensen also raised an interesting point about how if the city wants to see emissions reductions, they should be focusing more on what is happening with the disposal of material rather than collection. He cited the recent shift by waste management and others to start measuring sustainability progress through emissions reductions instead of diversion rates. That is interesting, though we've also been seeing companies like waste management start to change their contract terms to plan for lower commodity prices and future market shifts. So how does that all line up with the city's goal of increasing diversion rates through zoning? Yeah, I was wondering the same thing, because whereas the prices for processing, say, food scraps are what are more stable in the region, we are still seeing larger shifts for metal, glass, plastic, and other materials. So I asked the commissioner for her thoughts and whether DSNY's long-term contract with Sims Municipal Recycling could perhaps be a model. It's a market decision at a certain point. Could they be doing more? Probably. And it sounds like they, they may well have to soon. 
even if tomorrow everyone starts diverting everything, customers are doing the right thing, it's all getting collected, and the prices still don't quite add up, how does how does it, how would a zoning system address that? Would having a longer term contract say is even with Sims kind of help stabilize that? You know, I mean, I, there there are two things about it. So even though the markets are not as high as they were, mm -hmm. they're still not negative. Right. Uh, and refuse is always a negative. Mm -hmm. if you're always going to be paying someone uh, to take it away. But in terms of the way the Sims contract is designed, I actually think that. Uh, as carters think about where they're going to have relationships with material recovery facilities, I like the way ours is structured where the processing fee is separated from the revenue share fee. And so you know you always have somewhere to go, but I have an incentive to collect more and Sims has an incentive to market it. While we don't actually know what the commercial sector's official diversion rate is, Christensen said a lot of activity is already happening and that the local industry can only do so much to contend with larger market trends. The proponents for zoning say, okay, you get a zone, longer term contracts, maybe there's a little more stability, maybe you're more, you know, more able to go after some of that material that has thinner margins right now. Is there anything to that? Um, well, I think there are a couple of flaws in that. One is that, you know, uh, the markets are global. And so whether or not New York City or any other city has a districting system or whatever has no effect on the those global markets right. and their capacity or uh, market prices, whatever else that, that fluctuate from time to time. Mm -hmm. The second thing is that um, you can only recycle. Um, recycling isn't magic. Recycling is a function of what materials get generated by businesses and how they get separated. Uh, and then haulers sort of take over to collect, process, and move them to market. Um, but if the material that you start with inherently is not recyclable uh, because it's mixed waste, because it's hazardous, because it's multi-resin plastics, whatever else, mm -hmm. uh, that's not the responsibility of the waste management industry to magically make a market happen. So he and I went on to talk about what it might take to achieve the city's 90% diversion goal for commercial waste. Interestingly, he even mentioned the possibility of mixed waste processing, which is something we can talk about another time, a whole other can of worms. But we also went over a lot of other ideas for potential short-term changes, such as adjusting rate caps and contract structures that I'm sure we'll be covering in future stories as the ideas are presented officially. So right now it sounds like the city's new commercial recycling requirements and the 2020 emission standards are already taking up a lot of energy for the companies to comply. So is part of the resistance to zoning a fear that some of them might not be able to pull off everything that the city's asking them to do in order to win a zone? That is definitely a concern in the industry. And as the study found, the five largest haulers in the region already control almost half the market. So smaller companies are finding it harder to stay viable, and in the past, some have told me they're hesitant to invest in new equipment because they don't know if they'll even be around in a few years. Here's what Commissioner Garcia had to say on that. What would you say to those companies, you know, to encourage them to I would wait? think that they would do better at an RFP situation if they had made those investments than if they don't. Fair enough. And many of these companies, as you heard today, are backed by multinationals. Right. Um, it's not as if they don't have access to capital. Yeah, there's less room for those smaller haulers. And they're buying for. people all the time. Do you think, is that where we're heading? That eventually, you know, those are the ones who will be able to bid on these zones and will... No, I, I mean, I, I think our objective is to make sure that some of the zones are sized 
for that mid-size carter. Gotcha. And we don't want to make it so that there are only two players in town. Right. Uh, that's not an objective. Uh, so we're hoping that we can craft something where there's the ability for there to be competition across the city. Toward the end of our interview, we came back to the subject when I asked the commissioner for her reaction to the fact that a number of local haulers have opposed the zoning plan, and she had a surprising response. I actually don't think a lot of them are. I need to form a new group anyway, or we can say that, but... Right, meaning that some of the original group wasn't willing to oppose it. Uh, So, So, talk about that for a minute. So you think some people are... They don't... Yeah, I haven't heard anyone come out and say it, but some people could benefit from getting one of these zones, I would imagine. Right, they're not going to come out and say they want it, but there, there, there are some folks who are in the room today who think that they can be very competitive. Right. And they think in the long run, it will actually be helpful to their businesses. Mm-hmm. So the ones who are worried about the competition are the ones who are primarily uh, opposed to it. They don't think they're going to be able to compete. When I asked Christensen whether the position of New Yorkers for Responsible Waste Management was mainly to preserve the interests of local haulers, he said it wasn't quite so clear-cut. It seems like a lot of the members of NYW earners, the mid to small size, the independents, they would have a harder time. Is, is this, in a way, about you know maintaining those local businesses more so? Well, there are no guarantees. So even if you're a large company uh, or a medium-sized company and you think you've got the opportunity to compete in a, a districting system, there are no guarantees that, uh, that you would... Uh, win and, and survive. Um, so, and even for a large company, it's not inconceivable you could imagine a franchising system that would limit market share um, to uh, you know, one or two districts um, that might be actually less customers than you might have the opportunity to get if they're in an open, under an open market system. Hmm. So, you know, the companies are in sort of all different situations, but all of them are nervous, concerned, and to some extent scared about whether they're going to be able to survive, you know, four or five years from now. And now at this point, even though we've seen franchise setups in other cities, it really still is unknown what would happen to some of these companies in New York, right? Are there any signs to be taken from what's happening in Los Angeles? Yeah, the LA system is a major point of interest for people on all sides of this issue in New York right now. Commissioner Garcia told me that she has been invited out there to meet with city officials and plans to go soon. Here's what she's going to ask when she gets there. What am I not thinking about? Uh, What were your biggest hurdles? Uh, How did you engage uh, the sector in terms of making it successful? How did you engage the business community? Because, I mean, I think that that is a very important constituency, and they are all about service. Uh, it is incredibly important that people are collected in a timely way. And their biggest pushback has been, if I don't have the ability to fire them, they're not going to come collect. Uh, I think that we can figure out a way to do it that doesn't actually require that big a stick. Now, Christensen is, of course, watching what happens in L.A. as well. But he says that in addition to the city just having a larger square footage, he sees it as being different in a few other ways. Why do you think L.A. is doing it? When New York shouldn't, and what, you know, what are your, what are you going to be watching for? I guess as that gets off the ground. Well, I'd say a couple things. One is that um, you know I've had the occasion to work all over the U.S. and Canada, and continually impressed at how waste remains a local issue. New York is different in that, uh, you know, um, a the density and uh, and b the 
access to disposal facilities uh, is generally further away and more expensive than it is in L.A. Well, that is not the first time I've heard the issue of higher prices being raised. So how is New York dealing with that possibility? Yeah, that has already been causing some concern among people in the local real estate community. Because of that, you know, I've been noticing, aside from labor and environmental advocates, this idea doesn't seem to have fully caught on in other sectors yet. I ran this by the commissioner for her take. There's a lot of people signed on to the press release for the zoning study, and, you know, the mayor's obviously behind it. You don't necessarily get the sense that the business community is there yet, though. Well, I mean, I think the change is hard always. But many of these, the large folks in New York City, operate in zoned systems in other cities. They're already accustomed to it. I think that we need to make sure we're listening to their concerns. Uh, and I think uh, whether or not we have exclusive or non-exclusive zones is a big issue for them. Uh, so, you know, we want to make sure we will not have been successful if they are not happy. You know, they need to be happy at the end of the day that they are getting the service that they need. Well, wherever this goes, it has stirred up a lot of discussion around the city's commercial waste sector that wasn't actually there before. It definitely has. Uh, the industry is starting to become more engaged with city agencies around safety and other initiatives. And Christensen told me they're looking to make the most of this newfound attention. As we make the rounds of council members and uh, chambers of commerce and a wide range of business groups, uh, we find very limited understanding of uh, what this industry is, the services it provides, uh, the work that it does to keep the city clean every day, uh, people that work for it, um, uh, all of those uh, you know dynamics that the industry takes for granted, but uh, no one else really knows. We didn't ask for this opportunity, but we're using it to tell the industry's story uh, about all of those aspects and um, giving key stakeholders and decision makers the opportunity to find out more about how this industry operates and what it's capable of doing. Mm -hmm. And that's been a good thing. Well, it sounds like we will have a lot to cover as this unfolds in the months ahead. So what's next? Christensen said to expect some new proposals from his group soon, and everyone is eagerly awaiting approval for the city's consulting team. Commissioner Garcia told me that they have been selected and could begin working by the end of the summer, pending the, uh, the lengthy contracting process. They'll be collaborating with multiple city agencies and drilling down into all the specifics we talked about here today, as well as much more. That next phase is expected to take until late 2018 or early 2019. So in the meantime, conversations will surely continue between all involved and we'll be following. All right. Well, that'll do it for today. Thank you all so much for listening. And to get more industry insight, be sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter on wastedive.com. You can also download the free Industry Dive app that was just loaded into the App Store and like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. So until next month, I am your Waste Diva, Kristen Muslin. And I'm your garbage enthusiast, Cole Rosengren. And this was Talkin' Trash. Talkin' Trash.